we've been studying on the subject on fulfilling God's purpose for your life. We began about two Sundays ago establishing the fact that God does have a purpose for each one of us. God has a purpose for your life. And God has a dream for your life. So you are not an accident waiting to happen. You are God's dream. Let me hear you. Waiting to be fulfilled. You're not an accident waiting to happen. You're God's dream waiting to be fulfilled. God has a purpose for your life. He's got places that He wants you to go. He's got people He wants you to meet. He's got lives He wants you to touch. And He's got things He wants you to do. Amen? So catch God's dream for your life. Because there is no higher purpose, there is no better satisfaction, there is no greater adventure than living to fulfill God's plan, God's purpose for your life. We established that fact the very first Sunday we started this series. Last Sunday we began in chapter 2, on page 10 if you're following with me, on recognizing God's purpose for your life. All right, if God has a blueprint for my life, if God's got a plan, if God's got a purpose, how do I discover that? How do I find out what God made me for? How do I discover the purpose of God for my life? We began by establishing the fact that you can know the will of God. God's will for your life does not have to be a mystery. You can know the will of God. For your life. You can know it. You can discover it. And then you can go about fulfilling his plan and purpose for your life. We we said that we're going to talk about nine indicators. Nine guideposts that will help us discover the purpose of God. We talked about the first one last Sunday. Recognize the general teaching and instruction of God's word. And that is simply this, that God can never lead you. God will never lead you or guide you to do something that contradicts His written word. Amen? He will never lead you to do something that's against His written word. So that's the first guideline, first starting point. We gave some practical examples. For example, if you, you, you decide to go marry somebody, you say, well, God is leading me to marry an, an, an unbeliever. Well, you can take it for granted. It's not God leading you because God will never contradict His word. And His word says that you've got to be married to another believer. Amen? So you can say, well, an angel came from heaven and told me I'm a very special person. And I, I'm, I'm authorized to marry an unbeliever. Sorry, that angel probably didn't come from heaven. came from some other place. <laughs> because God will never contradict his written words. You say, well, God, I know God, God told me it's okay for me to, you know, to get married. Uh, I mean, sorry, uh, to just... For both of us, we love each other. We go to all people's church. We, we love God. And we just love each other so much. So we just decided to live together. Sorry. It's not the word of God. God's word says marriage is honorable. And we got to live by that. And if anybody violates the law of marriage, God's going to judge them. Amen. Or if you say, well, God, you know, God told me to start this online drug selling business. I got this new idea. I'm going to sell drugs online. I'm going to be totally anonymous. Nobody's going to catch me. And I'm going to give a new brand to all my drugs. 
heroin is going to be called peacemaker. <laughs> and hashish is going to be called thriller. And so nobody's going to know that I'm actually selling drugs online. And pastor, I will give you 90% of my money. Not just 10%. I'll bring 90% to the house of God. I don't care how smart the idea is. My Bible says that God leads us in paths of righteousness. Amen. He will never lead us in paths of unrighteousness. You can say what you want. God's not going before you in this. Because it's not paths of righteousness. This morning I want to cover a few more ways that we can help, that we can discover the plan and purpose of God for our lives. The second way that we can discover the plan of God, purpose of God, we're going to cover nine, we're talking about the second one now, is that we need to recognize the seeds in our life. Recognize the seeds in our life. Before we get into that, I want you to just look at several scriptures from the book of Psalms that, that really tell us or assure us of divine guidance. Let's turn, turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm, we're going to look at several scriptures in Psalms. Psalm 1 verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. God knows your way. I mean, to tell a neighbor, God knows your way. You know, there are times in life when you say, God, I've lost. And God says, I know the way. God says, I know the way of the righteous. Psalm 25 and verse 12. Just giving you scriptures on divine guidance here before we get into this study here. Psalm 25 verse 12 says, well, Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. Psalm 25 verse 12. Who is the man who fears God? Are you a person who fears God? Man, here's God's promise for you. God will teach you in the way you're supposed to choose for your life. God will teach you in the way that you're supposed to go. Psalm 32 and verse 8. Psalm 32 verse 8. The Bible says, God promises, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you're supposed to go. I will guide you with my eye. Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he that is God delights in his ways, in his way. The steps of a good man are ordered by God. Your steps are ordered by God. Amen. It gives you so much assurance, so much confidence that God is ordering your steps. And it says that God delights in your way. Meaning God himself is really interested in the way that you're taking. He delights, he takes pleasure in your way, in the way your life is going, where you're going. He delights in your way. And it says... Though he fall, verse 24, though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him. See, we're all going to make mistakes in life. And we stumble and fall. 
But God says, even if you fall, you're not going to be utterly cast on. It's not the end of everything. Why? Because God is upholding you. Psalm 48. Just one more scripture on divine guidance. Psalm 48 and verse 14. For this is our God. Who is it? Our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. This is our God. Our God forever and ever. He will be our guide. God will be your guide. Even till your last day on earth. God is our guide. So all of these scriptures that show us or teach us, promise us divine guidance, you can be guided by God. Amen? You don't have to worry about where you're going to go. God can show you the way in which you have to go. Now, we want to talk about the second thing on recognizing the seeds in your life. A very important understanding that we receive from the Word of God is this, that God works according to the seed principle. God works according to the seed principle. What is the seed principle? What is it? Well, simply this. You take a little seed in your hand. The seed looks lifeless. It seems dormant. It almost doesn't seem to have any promise. Just almost a dead little thing. Little seeds. But you take that seed and you put it in the ground. And that seed, and you nurture it, you water it, you nurture it. That seed begins to germinate. And then it begins to spring up. And then it grows probably into a big tree. And bears a lot of fruit or a lot of flowers, whatever that seed is supposed to bear. And, and it's a blessing to many people. And God, many of the things that God does follows this pattern of working, this principle of working. That seed in itself is, a, although it seems lifeless, it is full of potential. It's full of promise. What needs to be done is it has to be watered, planted, watered, nurtured, and it will bear fruit. And, the, and many of the things that God does in our lives follows this pattern of working. God initiates things in our lives like a little seed. It might seem so small. It might seem so insignificant. It might seem almost lifeless. But yet that little thing that God initiates is full of life. It's full of promise. It's full of potential. If you and I will recognize it and begin to nurture it, build it up, it will grow into something that will be a blessing to many people. And we find several examples of this. For example, in the Word of God, you see that God's Word is like a seed. In Mark 4, the earlier part of Mark 4, in Luke, 8, Luke chapter 8, in Matthew 13, Jesus talked about the parable, parable of the sower. He said, a sower went out to sow some seed. What is that seed? Luke 8, 11, the seed is the Word of God. So you see, this, the Word of God is compared to a seed. Life itself is compared to a seed. In John 12, Jesus said, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bring forth much fruit. And he was referring to life. His life. The life of his people. 
If you fall down to the ground and die, you will bear much fruit. Life is compared to a seed. In the Bible, money is compared to a seed. Money is compared to a seed. Now you can take the 20 rupee note, put it in the kingdom of God, and the seed will multiply. Then something will come into effect on this money that you've sown. And it's going to, God said, it'll, it'll be in the ground, it'll take some time, but it'll come back to you. Money is likened to a seed. So in the word of God, there are many, many comparisons to the seed principle. That the seed, when it is sown, it'll nurture, it'll be germinate, it'll bear fruit, it'll multiply. Human life, the word of God, money. And then very interestingly, you'll find that the kingdom of God is also likened to the seed. When we talk about the kingdom of God, what do we mean? We mean it's the rule, the reign, and the government of God's kingdom. That the kingdom of God also is likened to a seed. That the kingdom of God functions. The kingdom of God operates in accordance to this seed principle. Are you with me, yes or no? The kingdom of God operates this way. Look at this in Mark the 4th chapter, verses 26 to 32. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man. So this is a comparison. It's an illustration that tells us some spiritual truth. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night. Please don't sleep in church. Amen. All right. And should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed should sprout and grow up. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens immediately, he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Then he said, verse 30, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? In other words, I'm telling you something. I'm going to give you an earthly example that will illustrate to you what God's kingdom is like and how God works. I'm going to give you something that, you, that, will, that relates to your world to help you understand how God, God's kingdom operates. And he's about to tell us that in verse 30. Verse 31. It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So in two parables, in these verses of scripture, Jesus repeats to us, he reiterates to us that the kingdom of God is like a seed. God's kingdom operates. God's kingdom functions in accordance to this seed principle. When God wants to release something of His kingdom, He follows this seed principle. Are you all understanding? Yes or no? Many times when a mighty work of the kingdom has to be done on earth, it's released in a very small, insignificant way, like a little seed in somebody's life. And that seed is nurtured and boom, a mighty work of God's kingdom is released on the earth, which blesses the hearts and lives of many people. So God works. The kingdom of God operates in accordance to this seed principle. And we must understand this. It's so important. 
Many times we think that the kingdom of God comes with great fanfare and great noise and great power and great, you know, uh, we, we look for spectacular things. But God has told us clearly in His Word that the kingdom of God is like a little seed. It comes sometimes very anonymous, very quiet, almost insignificant, almost lifeless. But yet it carries within it the potential to make a tremendous difference. And so also in our lives, when God works in us, He releases seeds in our lives. Seeds, kingdom seeds, seeds of spiritual destiny. And what could these seeds be? These seeds, for example, could be special opportunities that God has put in your life. It could be special contacts, People that God brings into your life who begin to shape your life, move and influence your life in a certain way. It could be dreams that you receive at an early stage in life. It could be prophetic words that have been spoken into your life at an early stage. It could be uh, people who have spoken things to you which have totally altered the course of your life. Seeds, different things that have helped shape the course and influence the course of your life. These are seeds. And we must pay attention to these seeds. Are there seeds in your life? Are there kingdom seeds in your life? Can you recognize kingdom seeds? Things that God has put in your life. Which have affected the course and the direction of your life. We see several biblical examples of this. Joseph had dreams at a very early age which are indicative of what God would do, what his future would be like. At an early age, he dreamt, he saw the sun, the moon, the 11 stars come and bow down before him. He also had another dream where the, the stalks of corn representing his father, mother and his brothers all bowed down to the stalk of corn that represented him. Through these dreams, God was giving him an indication of the future that lay in store for him. God was telling him, I'm going, Joseph, I'm going to raise you into a position much higher than your father's mother and all your brothers. I'm going to take you to a place of great influence and prominence, to a place where even your own people will come and bow before you. God was telling him about his future through those dreams that he had in his early childhoods. Moses God supernaturally arranged for Moses to be raised up in Pharaoh's house, take, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He was trained in school and all the knowledge and wisdom of Egypt. So that Acts the 7th chapter tells us that Moses was a man who was mighty in word and deed. He was really schooled and trained well. But God was preparing him so that Moses came to understand, Acts the 7th chapter, that God had raised him up for a purpose. And there was a reason behind, behind this whole thing that happened to him. The fact that he was raised up in Pharaoh's household. There was a reason for this. God had raised him up to be a deliverer. It was not an accident that, that God caused him to be raised up in Pharaoh's household. A seed God had placed in his life. David, while he was still a young boy, a prophetic word through the prophet Samuel was spoken over him. And Samuel anointed him to be the next king of Israel. But he was just a young boy. And as a young boy, he earned a reputation among his people that he was a skilled musician. So now you know why David wrote Psalms. Because he had a skill that God had given him. He was a skilled musician. And he was also a mighty warrior. At a young age, people recognized this. This David is a skilled musician in 1 Samuel the 16th chapter. And 
He is a mighty warrior. They heard about the fact that he killed a lion and a bear to protect his father's sheep. He earned a reputation at a young age. This was much before he went out to meet Goliath. Seeds that were indicative of his future. That he was going to be a leader. He was going to be a mighty warrior among the people of God. Esther is an amazing story. God used something that was only skin deep to save an entire nation. He used Esther's beauty. Amen? You know, Esther was born with this wonderful seed in her life. Her beauty was the seed. Something natural. Something which we might almost consider worldly. But God used that seed. She became queen to King Ahasuerus. She would surely not have been chosen to be queen if she was ordinary looking. But her beauty opened the door for her to become queen. And then in that position, in that place, she was reminded by her cousin, uh, her cousin Mordecai saying, Don't you know that God is, that you could have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther, you are in the right place at the right time for a divine purpose. Realize it, recognize it, do something with it. And she was able to save the Jewish nation through because of that. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was taught by Gamaliel. He was taught in school by Gamaliel before he became a Christian, before he became a believer. And once he became a believer, all that learning, all the understanding of the Old Testament Scripture suddenly took on a new dimension. Now he could prove from the Old Testament Scripture that Jesus was, was the Christ. Why? Because he had been schooled by Gamaliel. He went to the best of the best Hebrews teachers in his time. And he was therefore able to write, uh, God used that. And in many of his Paul's writings, you refer to, you, you're able to see that his understanding of the Old Testament scripture and what they mean to the New Testament believer. God used those seeds uh, that were given to him at an early age, being schooled under Gamaliel. God used that in his life to help build and raise up the New Testament's church and write so, write so much of the New Testament scripture. So the seeds in our life are conveying a message to us concerning God's plan, purpose, and direction for our life. So you take some time. I want to encourage all of us as we're going through this study to take some time to reflect during the course of the weeks to come. Take some time to really think and say, you know, I'm learning about recognizing seeds in my life. Let me take a few moments to sit down and see, are there some seeds in my life that are indicative of God's plan and purpose for my life? Has God put some kingdom seeds in me? That will tell me the purpose God has for me. What are the things that have shaped and influenced your life? Who you are as a person. Now as a young boy, I can just look in my own life and I look back and see how God's worked in my life. I'm grateful to the fact that I came to the Lord at an early age, at the age of 12. It's a great blessing. Now so some people... Complaints. Oh, why I should have come to know Jesus at an early age. Why so late in life? But I'm so grateful that at the age of 12, God touched my life and changed my life. At the age of 13, Phil and baptized in the Holy Ghost, started praying in tongues. So it was too late for anybody to tell me otherwise. No. Experience the work of the Holy Spirit at an early age. I also remember several of the things that really shaped and influenced my life as I was growing up in my Christian faith. I remember that 
My grandmother, that's my father's mother. I still don't, I mean, don't remember her as a person. But she left the Bible, and in one of the first pages in the Bible, she wrote, This Bible has to be passed on to one of the descendants of, uh, I forget my grandfather's name, but Sundaraj Raichur. This, should, this Bible should be passed on to one of the descendants, the descendants of Sundaraj Raichur who go into the ministry. And she gave that Bible to my aunt who was living in the United States and still living there. But when my aunt heard about what had happened to my life and she, she made sure that that Bible came across, came to me at an early age. So there I was having this Wonderful study Bible. It was really expensive if you were to buy it. This was 20, almost 20 years ago. If you were to buy that same Bible in India, it, was, it would cost a lot of money. But here I have the study Bible. And I was able to study the scriptures. It influenced my life. Gave me an opportunity to study the word of God. I also remember somebody gave me a book by Billy Graham, Born Again. I read that book. I was so uh, you know, so uh, encouraged by that. When I used to go to my grandmother's house, she had all these magazines, decision magazines, that were printed and, uh, and distributed by Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And so read all those articles, all those messages preached by Billy Graham. Read that. They, they just filled my life with strong, solid evangelistic messages. Read them. They shaped my life. There are so many other books that I was able to read growing up in my early age that shaped and influenced my life. Different seeds planted in my life to help shape and make me what I, what God wanted me to be. And you can look back into your own life and say, what are the seeds God has sown in my life? Things that have shaped my life. Take, make an inventory and take those seeds seriously. Before we go on to the next, next point, I also want to make this warning. That just as God sows kingdom seeds, the enemy can sow weed seeds. Weed seeds, meaning seeds that produce weeds in our lives, which are intended to choke and destroy kingdom seeds. So you've got to be careful of that. Sometimes weed seeds are sown into our lives because of the action of our parents. Parents go through divorce. Our parents speak all kinds of things in our lives. And there are weed seeds that take place, get rooted in our lives. And we've got to make sure we get them out. Otherwise, they will destroy the very work of God. Sometimes weed seeds could be child abuse. Maybe you were abused as a, as a child by some you know, ill-mannered person. You were abused and it left a dent on your, on your emotional being. These are seeds, weed seeds being sown in your life by Satan. Intended to destroy the kingdom seeds that God has sown in your life. So you've got to make sure you uproot these weed seeds. Get them out. Otherwise, they will hinder the work of God. Amen? The third thing that we want to talk about here in recognizing... Uh, the plan and purpose of God, page number 18, is recognize the stirring within. Recognize the stirring in your hearts. We'll begin by using Nehemiah as our example. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, the Bible says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Sushan, the citadel, that, I heard that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, 
The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broke, also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 12. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. Now, just I want you to understand the entire setting here. You know, God's people had been plundered and had been attacked and plundered by the Babylonians. Jerusalem was destroyed. Lots of people, a lot of Jewish people had been taken away captive into Babylon. Nehemiah was one of them. And there, while he was working in the palace, he got news from the people who came from Jerusalem about the condition of the city. They said, you know, Jerusalem is in a very bad condition. The walls of the city are broken down. And the Jews who, are remaining, who have remained are in a very bad shape. Now, when Nehemiah heard these words, something stirred inside him. It affected him. And the Bible says he went to God in fasting and prayer. And he, and, and he was just stirred up in his heart when he heard about the walls of Jerusalem. Now, think with me. There, there were many other people in captivity who were also Jewish. They heard the same news. They read the same newspaper. But they said, oh, the walls are built down. Well, maybe they'll come up in their own time. Well, let's keep going with life. It didn't bother them. But for Nehemiah, it affected him. It's something stirred in his heart. He felt, I've got to do something about this. And so he set out. And as you read the story of Nehemiah, he got permission from the king. The king granted him security. The king gave him some timber and other things that he needed to rebuild the walls. And he set on a journey back to Jerusalem to re see the walls rebuilt. And Nehemiah 2 verse 12, he says, I never told anybody what God put in my heart for me to do. So now Nehemiah recognizes that the stirring in his heart was really something that God put in there. Amen? See, many times the things that, 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 that God wants to do on the earth, they come to us by a simple stirring in our heart. You are stirred up about something. Now, we're not talking about an emotional stirring. You know, suppose somebody comes here, they make a presentation about, you know, all the... Maybe they give you, they put up pictures about some village out there far, far away. They say, you know, this village is so in bad shape. And look at all the people suffering. And then you, you cry a few tears in your eyes. And oh, you feel so moved. But the thing is this, as soon as the service is over, you go out and you forget all about it. All, all that is gone. It's over. We're not talking about that kind of stirring. That's just an emotional thing. Well, we're talking about something that's deep down inside you. Something that's like the Hutch Network. That follows you wherever you go. <laughs> At least in theory. <laughs> and wherever you go, it follows you. And it's like, it, you can't run away from it. You sleep, it's with you. You wake up, it wakes up with you. And it's a stirring that's so much a part of you. And you're saying, God... What is this? Now you could be working in a call center. 
12 o'clock at night, you're answering a phone, somebody from the UK or from the US is calling and saying, I'm asking about my credit card. Why is my credit card? So wait a minute, madam. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what will happen to your credit card. But inside you, you're so stirred up about the street children in Bangalore. So here you are busy answering the phone, trying to solve somebody's credit card problem. But inside you, there's something else that's stirred up. Say, God, there are street children. I'm just using this as an example. God, there are street children in Bangalore. I've got to do something about this. Now, it doesn't mean you quit your job. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, recognize the stirring that's in your heart. Keep answering those calls, please. <laughs> but in the meantime, recognize what's really inside you. Recognize a stirring. So you've got to ask yourself, what am I really passionate about? What really stirs me up? I mean, what is that thing for which I will sacrifice a night's sleep if I have to? What is that thing I, that which I will put my last rupee in if I have to? What is that thing that really, really, really excites me? What is it? Not the thing I do just because I have to have a job. Not the thing I have to do just because I have to make a living. No, no, let's get past those things. You've got to do those things anyway. But what is it underneath that? What really stirs you in your heart? Other examples we see in Acts, the 17th chapter, talks about the Apostle Paul when he came to Athens. It says his spirit was provoked within him. Something stirred up inside and moved him to action. Acts 18, once again he says, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit. He testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Something stirred up in his heart. There were inner heart feelings stirred up. I want us to look at some more scriptures here in the Old Testament just to show us that you know God really moves upon our inner being. Turn with me to Psalm 139. These are not in your prayer publication, but you can just turn with, follow with me in your Bible. Psalm 139 and verse 13. Psalm 139, verse 13. He says, the psalmist writes, he says, For you, God, formed my inward parts. God Formed, shaped my inward parts. Now the word inward parts is not just talking all the parts in your body. The literal word in the Hebrew, uh, you know, the King James translated as reins. The literal Hebrew word literally means kidneys. But that same word, when it is used in the Old Testament... It is always used to refer to the thoughts, the mind, the soul, the desires, the affections, the passions. So it's not referring to your physical organ. It's referring to your inner being, the soulish part of you, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your, act, your passions, your desires. For God forms my soulless part, my emotional being, he works on it. 
So God works even on our emotional being, on our desire, our affections. What we are passionate about, that was formed in you by God. Amen? Tell me to Psalm 16, verse 7. Psalm 16, verse 7 uses the same Hebrew word for inward parts. Psalm 16, verse 7. The King James uses the word reign, something that you use to control and direct. Psalm 16, verse 7. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. God has given me counsel. How did he do it? My heart, that's the same Hebrew word, means inward parts or kidneys or reins. My heart, my inward parts, my emotional thoughts, feelings, passions, also instruct me in the night seasons. God has given me counsel. How did he do it? My inward part, my emotional being, my passions, my desires, my affections, they instruct me during the night times of my life. So, here you see God forms your inner being, your emotions, your passions. And He uses those things to give you His counsel and to instruct you. Turn with me to Proverbs, the 20th chapter. 27 verse, Proverbs 20, 27. Proverbs 20 and verse 27. Proverbs 20 and verse 27 says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. The spirit of man is a lamp of the Lord. So they understood it in the Old Testament. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. God uses that to search what's really in you. But not, not only does God use your spirit as a lamp to search what's in you, but Psalm 18. If you turn me to Psalm 18. Psalm 18, verse 28 says, Psalm 18, verse 28, For you will light my lamp. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. You will light my lamp. What is a lamp? What did they understand as a lamp? The spirit of man is a lamp of the Lord. God uses it to search all the inner Things concerning me. But my spirit is also the lamp of the Lord. The Lord will light my lamp. He will give me illumination. He will give me understanding in my inner being. The Lord will light my lamp. So God will use my inner being, my spirit, to give me light and understanding. Job 32 verse 8. Job 32 verse 8 says... Job 32 verse 8. There is a spirit in man. And the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. There is a spirit in man. And the inspiration of the Almighty gives him understanding. The inspiration of the Almighty therefore comes to us through the spirit of the man. 
So all these scriptures kind of tell us that in your inner being, God forms, God is able to direct, God is able to counsel, God is able to enlighten you in your inner being. So you and I need to pay attention to the things in our heart, within our being. What is it that I'm really passionate about? What really stirs me that's stirring inside us? Because very often God leads us through this. He unfolds His plan and purpose for our lives through the stirring in our hearts. Amen? I think your neighbor needs a natural stirring to just stir them up a little bit. (laughs) So I I want you to take some time to just examine your own heart, your inner being. And say, God, what is it that I'm really passionate about? What is it that really excites me? Maybe some of you are here and you're really passionate about business. Every time somebody talks to you about, you know, getting, doing some business. Woo, it's like a baby kicking in the inside of you. It's like, God, I'm pregnant. It's kicking on the inside of me. Everybody, every time somebody talks to you about it, maybe God's telling something. Saying, look, this passion on the inside of you, this stirring on the inside of you, is really that baby of place that it's kicking, it's telling it's ready to come out. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's really amused. So Santos saying, Amen. <laughs> Or maybe some of us are passionate about, you know, God, I want to go to some place where nobody has gone and I want to do something for the kingdom of God. I don't care if God TV doesn't follow me there. And I don't care if nobody writes about me in, in any of those Christian magazines. But God, I want to go to some remote place of this world. And I want to tell those people about Jesus Christ. And I'm willing to adapt their culture. I'm willing to learn their language. I'm willing to eat those cockroaches. And I'm willing to just do what they do. Just to take the gospel to them. That's the passion of your heart. you got to pray over it. Maybe that's from God. You've got to follow that. You'll never be satisfied in life until you do that. Something else may be stirring you up. I don't know. Now maybe some of you maybe stirred uh, for the sick people. Whatever. Something. Say, God, I, I want to do this. This is the thing that pa- I'm very passionate about. Maybe some of you are really passionate about the Word of God, of teaching the Word of God. Somebody says, you know, this person has a headache. All right, sit down there. Let me teach you the Word of God. <laughs> you think teaching the Word of God will solve everything? No. So you just passed about it. I've got to teach everything. Every problem is solved if you just sit down and listen to me. I can teach you the Word. <laughs> You're just so passionate about the Word of God. So you've got to find out what is it that really, that really stirs you up? What is it? That really passed it about. That stirring could be from heaven. Now, we've just covered three of the uh, things that will help us recognize God's purpose for our lives. We'll talk about a few more. But I want to give a word of caution here when we're talking about understanding the stirring within our heart. That 
You know, for example, let's say you're really stirred up about sick people, about their afflictions. You want to go and, and, uh, and uh, you know, every sick person, you want to make sure they get healed. You're stirred up about it. That's your passion to, make, to, to, to bring relief to those who are sick and suffering in the body. Maybe that's your passion. But you don't have the necessary gift for it. That means you don't have, you're not a doctor. So don't go out from here and say, Pastor told me, follow the stirring in my heart. So you go buy loads of medicine and start giving people. Take, 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 take. Please, you'll get put in jail. Don't blame me. Don't do that. You may have a passion, but sometimes you don't find a corresponding gift. Then what do you do? Then you need some wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. Why? Because you got a passion, but you don't have the gifts. You're passionate about sick people. You want to bring relief to them. But you don't have the gift. What do you need? You need wisdom. You need to find out from God how to follow through with that passion. God may or may not want you to go to medical school. You may have a passion. It doesn't mean you have to become a doctor. Maybe through some other way. God's going to use you in that area to minister to sick people. Maybe through prayer, you'll minister to sick people. Or maybe God will use you to work behind the scenes and just organize medical camps and, and get the doctors to come. Get the people with a gift. Get them to come and do the work. And you're just behind the scenes. You don't have to become a doctor to bring relief to sick people. You can work behind the scenes and bring relief to sick people. Amen? So, Please stay with me for the remaining six indicators before you decide what you're going to do. Amen? We've got to put all of these nine together and then understand how God is leading us and which way we're supposed to go. Don't take just one of them and run off and say, okay, pastor said, I must follow the stirring in my heart. I'm really stirred up about, you know, doing something and I go and do it. No, no, no. Let's put all this together and determine how we should go, the way we must stay. This morning we just talked about two things. Recognize the seeds in your life. Recognize the stirring in your heart. The stirring within. Take some time during this week. We have two days, holidays, Tuesday and Friday. Got a lot of time to think, reflect. Say, God, are there seeds in my life that I need to recognize? Are there is there a real genuine passion in my heart that, that's stirring up in me that I must recognize? That you're telling me I've got to do something about it. All right? And then please come back the following Sunday so that we can finish the remaining six. And then put all of them together and understand the plan and purpose of God for your life. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.